thanks for tuning in this week to Cross Connection Church Houston. We're a small church plant located in the Pasadena area. It is our mission to save the lost, to equip the saved, to serve both the lost and the saved, and finally to send the equipped. To this end, we teach through the Bible on a verse-by-verse basis, starting from the beginning of a book and working our way through all the way till the end. It is our prayer that you would grow in the knowledge of Jesus Christ through His Word. Well, as believers in Jesus Christ, each one of us are called to minister for Jesus. I think so often we hear this term ministry, and it's usually just associated with people like myself who are considered in ministry and, you know, we're pastors or whatever and everyone else doesn't have to. But the reality is all of us who put our faith in Jesus Christ are called to minister for him. And there's a problem that many Christians have is that they kind of just really don't know what that entails. They don't understand what they're getting into. And so really many Christians need a ministry manual. You know, when you go to a job, usually they have some kind of manual that they give to you so that you understand what your responsibilities are, you know, what the company does. You know, that manual helps you understand, you know, your role and and what you're doing and how you're supposed to do it. Uh, And without that manual, you really wouldn't know your responsibilities. You wouldn't know how to accomplish those responsibilities. And here in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, Paul's going to share with us six important things about ministry. And in doing so, he's really given us kind of a a basic ministry manual for us to understand ministry more effectively. And the six things that he's going to share with us are the privilege of ministry, the priority of ministry, the pressures of ministry, the power for ministry, the perspective of ministry, and the purity in ministry. Now, since each one of us are called to do ministry, what he shares with us here is very applicable to us because these things will hopefully help us do better in this role that we have to minister for Jesus. So let's first start with the privilege of ministry here that Paul reveals to us in the first two verses of chapter 6. He says this, We then, as workers together with him, also plead with you not to receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, in an acceptable time I have heard you, and in the day of salvation I have helped you. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Notice that Paul starts off by saying, we then as workers together with him. You know, Paul recognized something very important about ministry. It's not a solo act. It's something that he did together with other people. But most importantly, he did together with Jesus himself. This is one of the reasons why ministry is such a privilege. You and I have the privilege of doing ministry, working alongside of Jesus Christ, who is the ultimate one to minister with. You know, I'm sure all of you here have had some horrible and difficult co-workers. Uh, we could probably take a while and you could explain some of the, you know, the people that you've worked with over the years. And when you have to deal with and deal with the, the struggles and the hardship of someone who's not a, a, a pleasant co-worker, you appreciate that much more when you do have a great co-worker, when you have an awesome co-worker, when you actually have someone you look forward to going to work and working with as opposed to dreading going to work and working with. And, you know, so it, it brings that reality and, you know, it's a, such a, a pleasure to have someone that you work with that's a joy. Now, some of you might be thinking, I've never had that pleasure. I hope every job I go to, I can have that pleasure. But you know what? 
If you get involved with ministry, you get that pleasure. Why? Because you work together with the greatest worker of all, Jesus Christ, the one who is so awesome and wonderful, and we have that privilege of working together with him. And so Jesus loves to do that. Now, I think we need to recognize we don't deserve to work with Jesus, and actually, We don't even really help him the way that we should. I think Jesus could accomplish a lot more without us in many respects. But, you know, when I was, um, well, actually when Scarlett was only a few years old, she wanted to help me vacuum the house. And I remember this very vividly. And she comes to help. And, you know, she's small. She's only a couple years old. And so just to even hold on to the vacuum, I'm like, okay, here you go. And You know, she can't handle it. So she's kind of holding on to the handle like this and I'm behind her and she's trying to walk in front of me. uh, And all I'm trying to do is not step on her. And, and, you know, just, you know, she's not really helping. She's more of a hindrance. She's kind of getting in the way. But, you know, she just keeps looking back at me with this big smile. Oh, it's such a privilege to help daddy vacuum. But she wasn't really a help. I would have, you know, it took me like an hour to do a room and it took me like five minutes. And so, you know, but the reality is I loved working with her. I love the fact that she wanted to help. And it was that, you know, I love her and time with her. And so, you know, we did that together. Now, I think that's kind of the way it is so often with us working with Jesus. It's, you know, we're kind of just, oh, I want to help. I want to help. You know, and oftentimes we're, we're not the greatest help, but yet God loves us. And he wants to work with us. And even though he could probably do things so much better apart from us with all our failures, yet he says, you know what? I want to use you. I want to work with you because I love you and want to spend time with you. And also God recognizes it's important for us to work with him. It's healthy for us. It's a, it's a benefit to us. David Guzik, a great pastor and commentator says this about working together with Jesus. The word workers itself is important. There is something good and important in work itself. So much so that God wants us to be workers together with him. God's best for our life is never a state of ease and comfort and indulgent inactivity. Even if we did all those things together with him, God wants us to be workers together with him, not couch potatoes or pew potatoes together with him. You know, I think too often as Christians, we're just lazy. And God says, you know, oh, I want you to work together with me. And like, well, what does that entail? You know, what exactly am I going to have to do? Eh, no, that's a little too much, Lord. You know, make it a little easier. You know what? I'd rather just hang out with you instead of work with you. And too often, we're not willing to work because we kind of see that in a negative light. We're lazy or whatever the reason is. But it's important for us to recognize work is good. And God wants us to do it with him. I think another helpful thing in understanding what Paul is saying here about working together with Jesus is the picture that we ended last chapter with. Paul calls us ambassadors. We're ambassadors for Christ. And I think it's important to have that picture in our mind because an ambassador um, is someone who works together with his king. But the the ambassador has no power in and of himself, no authority, no agenda of his own. The power comes from the king. The authority comes from the king. The agenda is the king's agenda. The ambassador is just there to represent all of those things for the king. And so since we are ambassadors for Jesus, we are supposed to be working together with Jesus on what Jesus is doing. And I think it's important to note that we're told we work together with him, not he works together with us. 
Because too often our mindset is not, Lord, let me do what you want to do. Let me work together for your glory, for your desires, for your will. Too often in ministry, it's, Lord, why don't you come work together with me, with the things that I'm doing here, and bless what I'm doing, what I'm doing, what I'm doing. I see that so often in ministry, and I was guilty of it in portions of my ministry as well. Just, Lord, here's what I want to do, now come bless it. Instead of, God, what is it that you're doing and let me come work alongside of you and do what you want to do and bless what you're doing and be a part of what you're doing. Jesus is the leader, not us. We're the follower. But too often we kind of get our roles mixed up and we need to be very careful with that because when we buy into this thought that ministry is about us and accomplishing our desires instead of ministry being about Jesus and working with him to accomplish his desires. We've missed it. And a lot of problems come with that. And I think that's why Paul goes on to say, we also plead with you not to receive the grace of God in vain. Now, obviously, the Corinthians received the grace of God. They wouldn't be believers if they didn't receive the grace of God. But, you know, Paul says, you know what? I don't want you to receive it in Vain. And so what does that mean to receive the grace of God in vain? I think that Paul shines some light on that last chapter in for, or last book, 1 Corinthians 15, 10. He says this, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace towards me was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they all. Yet not I, but the grace of God, which was in me. Notice here that Paul speaks about God's grace given to him was not in vain, but then he goes on to say how he labored more than they all, and he's not trying to praise himself. He says, it's not me, but the grace of God, but yet there's a connection with what God gave Paul to the fact that he was willing to work hard with God to accomplish what God gave him. And I think there's this idea that Paul is saying, yes, God's grace would be given to me, but yet if I wasn't willing to take it and work for God and work with God, then there's a sense in which that grace would be in vain. Here you go. Here's a gift. Well, I'm never going to use it. Well, that's kind of in vain. I've given to it to you to, to use it, but yet you're not doing anything with it. It becomes something that's now in vain. And so, you know, grace by definition is definitely freely given. It's unmerited. It's undeserved. Uh, I'm not saying that we do stuff to receive grace, but yet when we receive it, God wants us to do something with it. He wants us to work alongside of him, not just to sit back and be like, oh, this is so great to have all this, all these gifts. I'm not going to do anything with it. No, God wants to say, here, here, this is for you. Now work with me in accomplishing the things that I want to do. No one forced Paul to do what he did. No one forced him to labor more than all. You know, this was something within him that he chose. I want to be someone to work with Jesus and give my all to it. I think many times as Christians, we struggle with the question, is God supposed to do it or am I supposed to do it? And I think the answer is yes. God does the work and he also desires us to be a part of it. He's the ultimate source. He's the one who gives us all we need. It's by his grace. But yet it's not just he does it all and we just sit back and do nothing. There's an aspect of we partner with him. We have to make a choice to work with him, to rely upon him. And this is the challenge here that Paul is giving us to do this so that if we don't do it, it becomes in vain. And I think verse two gives us a, a pretty good motivation for why when God desires us to work with him, we should do it. Notice what he says in verse two. For he says, it's in an acceptable time, I have heard you. And in the day of salvation, I have helped you. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. 
Paul is quoting Isaiah 49, 8, and it applies to us. And he's wanting to have us understand a, a sense of urgency. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. You know, we live in a time where we are procrastinators. I know I struggle with this and have more so in the past, but, you know, recognizing now is the time that God wants us to partner with him for reaching the lost people because now is the day of salvation. We don't know how much time this world has left. And so we want to see each day as their last day and recognize now is the time to work with the Lord. Now is the time to reach people with the gospel, not think, well, you know, what I'll wait till next week or next month or next year no now we don't know if they have next week next month next year and so there should be this sense of urgency within us as we partner with the Lord to do his work and one of the greatest works that God is seeking to do is reach people with the gospel and Paul brings this reality and he's called us to go out and preach the gospel to everyone. And so he wants to work together with us to accomplish that goal. And too often, we don't see the importance and the urgency of now is the time to do this. And so we need to be busy with the Lord's work and not distracted with just getting consumed with the things of life that hinder us from having that eternal perspective of reaching people with the great news of the gospel. So in our manual for ministry, the first thing we need to understand is the privilege of ministry. It is a privilege to get to work with Jesus doing Jesus's work. And one of the greatest works Jesus has given to us, one of the most privileged things that we have been offered is the opportunity to work with Jesus in communicating the gospel to this lost world. So when it comes to the Ministry, the first thing Paul wants us to understand is the privilege that it is to get to do that, to be a part of that with Jesus. In verses 3 and 4, Paul is going to share with us the second thing we need to understand about ministry. He says this, We give no offense in anything that our ministry may not be blamed, but in all things we commend ourselves as ministers of God. You know, one of the biggest reasons that ministries are blamed or spoken poorly of or rejected is because someone in the ministry has done something offensive that has caused people to get upset and it loses credibility and, you know, it kind of hinders the work of God because of the sin within the people who are leading the ministry, doing the ministry. It's an offense and it's a hindrance to what God wants to do. And so Paul understanding this says, you know what? I don't want there to be any offense that I bring that would hinder people from the ministry that God has called me to. And so he didn't want anything in his lifestyle to do that. And so ministry is not only important because we get to work with Jesus, it's also important to lay aside sin and things in our life that would bring offense and hinder the work that the Lord wants to do. See, the grace of God enables us to do ministry, but our sin keeps us from being effective in it. And this is something that we need to recognize. It's God gives us the grace to do it, but yet when we're not willing to really be serious with our own sin, we're never effective because a sin hinders what God is seeking to do. Now, notice that Paul is not just speaking about anything that offended people. He's like, I never want to offend people. We live in a culture that's like, never offend anyone for anything. The specific thing he's saying, I don't want my sin 
to offend people. And we need to clarify that because he's saying, I don't want any sinful behavior in my life to be offensive and keep people from Jesus and keep the ministry that I'm doing from being effective. Now, Paul does not say, I don't want to be offensive in anything as a whole, because even at that time, just like this time, the gospel was offensive. Paul never stopped preaching it. The word of God was offensive. Paul never stopped preaching it. Hell's offensive. Paul never stopped preaching it or proclaiming it. So he's not saying if something's offensive, don't say it. He's saying don't let your sin be the thing that brings offense and keeps people from the truth. Because unfortunately in the world today, the Christian world, there are many people who have abandoned important things because it's offensive in our culture, like the word of God, like the gospel. And so, well, we're not going to talk about those things. Well, we need to talk about those things, even though they are offensive to the world because the world desperately needs to hear them and know them. That's not what Paul is saying to avoid. He's saying avoid sin that would offend people. That's the hindrance that he's speaking about. And I think one of the biggest things that really helps us to have a focus of not wanting to offend people in ministry is that we make ministry a priority. Yeah, I think the reality is if if ministry is not a priority for you, if you don't really care what kind of representation you are for Jesus Christ, then you're not going to have much of a motivation to say, you know what, I'm concerned about how my sin is, you know, portrayed, you know, that my sin actually is offensive. If, If ministry is not a priority, you know, the reality is I've come across many Christians and you just realize they don't care. I'm just going to live life the way I want to. I don't care if what I do hinders anything in ministry because I don't really have Ministry as a priority. That's not important to me. What's important to me is just living life the way I want to. And so I think one of the big things to help us get to that place where we say, hey, I want to make sure I'm not offensive in the way in which I live is making sure ministry is a priority because we should care because the way in which we live is either going to draw people to Jesus or drive people from Jesus. And that should be something that you think take very seriously of is my life Driving people from Jesus, or is my life drawing people to Jesus? So in our manual for ministry, the second thing we need to understand is the priority of ministry. How we live our lives and represent the ministry of God should be a priority to us. And one of the best ways to make it a priority, or one of the best ways to not be a hindrance, is to make ministry a priority. That's a great motivator. So first, we need to see ministry as a privilege. Second, we need to make it a priority. In verses 4 through 5, Paul is going to now give us the third thing we need to understand about ministry. In much patience, in tribulations, in needs, in distresses, in stripes, in imprisonments, in tolments, in labors, in sleeplessness, in fastings. You know, in this list, Paul's going to give a, a longer list. I'm kind of breaking up this list. But he starts with things that are real pressures in ministry. The reality is ministry has a lot of pressures, a lot of things that come into your life because you're serving Jesus that can be very difficult, that can be very hard. And Paul understood this and he experienced this and he gives 10 basic pressures in ministry, 10 things that are associated with living for Jesus in this world that are difficult. And the first thing that Paul shares, I think is the most important because this kind of connects with the rest. And he talks about patience and he says, much patience. And, you know, I think that's an important reality, not just a little patience. We need much patience. Now, this Greek word that Paul uses here, translated patience, means a patient, enduring, and perseverance. You know, we often see patience as a 
passive thing. The ability to sit around and wait for something to happen. Oh, I'm patient because I'm just waiting. But that is not the idea of the word that Paul uses here. It's an active endurance instead of a passive waiting. So Paul is saying his ministry required much endurance and difficulty. Ministry has a lot of pressures. Serving the Lord has a lot of pressures. The reality is, are we going to patiently endure that, or are we going to give up on that? And that's the struggle, because I knew know too many people who it's kind of like, you know what, this is too hard, this is not worth it, I'm not going to continue in it, and they're not willing to patiently endure the difficulties. Instead, they say, you know, forget this. So Paul recognizes this, and he connects it with several things. First of all, he connects it with the general struggles, the general trials in his life. He needed to patiently endure because he was often in tribulations. He was often needy. He was often in distress. You know, those were the general struggles that he went through. And those are general struggles that we go through as well as we seek to minister for the Lord. It brings tribulation. It brings needs in our life. It brings distress. But Paul also talks about suffering that's directly inflicted by people who are against God, against the gospel, were stripes, imprisonments. Tolments. Stripes were getting whipped and beaten. Paul experienced that, not just because, uh, not because of anything sinful in his life, but because he proclaimed the gospel. He was beaten for doing ministry. Imprisonment in the same way. He wasn't put in prison because, you know, of some sin. He was put in prison because of the ministry of the gospel. And Tolmets speaks of a, a violent and angry mob, which, you know, Paul encountered often for ministry. These are all things of people who are against God and against the gospel bring against those who are trying to live for God and do the ministry of God. And it's difficult. But Paul also needed endurance because of self-inflicted hardships. He says, labors, sleeplessness, and fasting. Now, no one made Paul labor as hard as he did, as he spoke of before, I labor more than you all. No one made Paul fast like he did or, or go through so many sleepless nights as he did. He was a man driven. He was a man willing to work alongside of Jesus. He did this for Jesus, but the reality still was he needed to patiently endure, even though he chose to fast and chose to have those sleeplessness and chose to labor hard. It's still something that was difficult. And so he recognized there needed to be this patient endurance with all these things, whether they were general trials, whether they were from people who were against God, whether they were his own choice, just because he wants to live for God as effectively as possible. He needed to patiently endure these things. So in our manual for ministry, the third thing we need to understand are the pressures of ministry. Ministry is full of pressures, but God will give everything we need to patiently endure them. Ministry is hard, regardless of what it is. People are hard. Reaching people is hard. But we need to recognize God will give us all we need to patiently endure, not to run away from, but to continue to endure so that we can continue to reach people with what God has called us to do. So when it comes to ministry, first, we need to see it as a privilege. Second, we need to make it a priority. And third, we need to understand the pressures that are there. Jesus tells us to count the cost. Recognize what you're getting into. Recognize the hardship so it's not some shock when it happens. In verses 6 and 7, Paul is going to share with us the fourth thing we need to understand about ministry. By purity, 
by knowledge, by long suffering, by kindness, by the Holy Spirit, by sincere love, by the word of truth, by the power of God, by the armor of righteousness on the right hand and on the left. Here in these verses, Paul shares with us the power for ministry. You look at Paul's life and you think, man, here's a guy who is so effective for the Lord, someone who you know did so many wonderful things for God, but it's not like Paul was so much greater than us and that's why he was able to do it. What, what differentiates Paul from many of us is the fact that Paul actually took advantage of the resources that God puts at his disposal in order to accomplish what he called him to do. And I love this list that Paul gives us here because he took advantage of the purity, the knowledge, the long suffering, the kindness, the Holy Spirit, the sincere love, the word of truth, the power of God, the armor of righteousness. These are all things that Paul looked to and grabbed onto and took advantage of in order to be effective in serving the Lord. You know, Second Peter 1 3, I think, gives us an important challenge when it comes to the power for ministry. It tells us this. God's divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue. In my own life, I have made a statement, and I've heard it from others as well, of I just don't have what I need to live a godly life. Or I just don't have what I need to accomplish this ministry that God has given to me. Oftentimes, we come to this conclusion that I can't do it because I don't have what I need to accomplish it. And this verse clearly tells us that's not true. God has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. He's given us everything we need to accomplish the tasks that he's given us. God's never saying, hey, go do this. And he's just sitting there kind of with a smile on his face thinking, you're never going to be able to accomplish it because you don't have what you need. No, he says, go do this and I'm going to give you everything you need to accomplish it. Now, the reason that we fail so often is that we're not looking to him for what we need. We often look to ourselves, but this whole list is a a great encouragement, and there's many other things in Scripture, of what we have been given, what we have at our disposal to accomplish what God has given to us to do. And so we need to realize we have power in ministry. It's not our power. In and of ourselves, we don't have anything. It's the power of God and what he offers to us through the power of the Holy Spirit, through the armor of God, through all these things that he's given to us so that we can do this. But the reality is, the question is really, do we take advantage of it? Are we utilizing it? Because it just being there, you know, it's kind of here, it's on this shelf and I never use it. Well, then it's useless to me until I grab hold of it and take advantage of it and live my life based on it. Then, you know, it's not helpful. But the the thing is that we need to understand is, you know, what Paul had accessible to him, we have accessible to us. We have everything we need to accomplish what God has given to us. We just need to be willing to take advantage of it, to trust in it, to rely upon it. And the Lord will give us what we need to accomplish what he's called us to do. So in our manual for ministry, the fourth thing we need to understand is the power for ministry. God has given us all the power and resources we need to accomplish his ministry. And I emphasize that as we talked before. Too often we're trying to get God to accomplish our ministry and we wonder why it's not happening. He gives us the power to accomplish his ministry, what he is seeking to do. So when it comes to ministry, first, see it as a privilege. Second, make it a priority. Third, understand the pressures that come. Fourth, take advantage of the power available to us. 
And in verses 8 through 10, we're going to see the fifth thing that Paul shares with us. By honor and dishonor, by evil reports and good reports, as deceivers and yet true, as unknown and yet well-known, as dying and behold we live, as chastened and yet not killed, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing, as poor yet making many rich, as having nothing and yet possessing all things. In these verses, Paul here is kind of helping us with a perspective on ministry. Notice he makes a bunch of contrasts. He contrasts one thing with another over and over again. And what he's really revealing here is the perspective that the world had on Paul and his life and his ministry versus the perspective that God sees. And they're very, very different. They're they're night and day. Notice the contrast here. The world would describe Paul with words like dishonor, evil report, deceiver, unknown, dying, chastened, sorrowful, poor, having nothing But God sees him with honor, good report, true, well-known, alive, not killed, always rejoicing, making many rich, possessing all things. Paul recognized the world sees him one way, God sees him another way. And this is such a vital thing. Our perspective on ministry is so huge because when we get sucked in to seeing our ministry through the eyes of people, through the eyes of the world especially, It becomes something where we get very sidetracked and we start to think, oh, they have negative thoughts here and they don't like this or that. And ultimately, it's like, what is God's perspective? How does he see this? What is his view of things? Because that's ultimately what should matter most is what God thinks, not the fact that, oh, the world doesn't like this. And I get so saddened by, you know, churches are like, oh, the, the world doesn't like us preaching about sin or something. Well, let's stop. Oh, well, the world doesn't like it when we do this. Well, let's stop. Who cares if the world likes it or not? What does God think? Because you stopping, God doesn't want that. That should be more of our concern and more of our perspective. But I've seen so much just being around people in ministry. This is a huge danger where we allow the perspective of the world to influence our ministry more than the perspective of God. And we need to keep that perspective right because it is a very big contrast and we can lose sight of what God thinks and his focus and it's a problem so in our manual for ministry the first uh, the fifth thing we need to understand is the perspective for ministry we must view our ministry from God's perspective not the world's you know it took me some time to get to a place where I could honestly say you know what if God's pleased with me and my ministry and that's all that matters Because honestly, for much time, it was, if God's pleased and these people are pleased, then I'm pleased. As opposed to, you know what? You're never going to please everybody, especially the world. I mean, we shouldn't even think that we're going to please them as we serve the Lord. And so it's just the mindset should be, if God is pleased with me and what I'm doing, that should be enough. That should ultimately be who I'm seeking to please. And so if I can end my life with well-done, good and faithful servant, that God is pleased with me, then that's good. That's what I want. You know, too often it's like, well, the world was real happy. God's not. You know, that shouldn't be our hope and our desire. It should be our focus on what God wants, not what the world wants. So first, we need to see ministry as a privilege. Second, a priority. Third, understand the pressures. Fourth, take advantage of the power that God gives us. And fifth, see it from God's perspective, not the world's. Now, the rest, of the, the, the final thing that Paul is going to share here is going to be the rest of the chapter. And it's a very, very important thing that he 
challenges us. And it's not just really for ministry. It's just for life in general as believers. O Corinthians, we have spoken openly to you. Our heart is wide open. You are not restricted by us, but you are restricted by your own affections. Now in return for the same, I speak as to children, you also be open. Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness, and what communion has light with darkness, and what accord has Christ with Baal? Or what part has a believer with an unbeliever? And what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God, and as God has said, I will dwell in them and and walk among them. I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Therefore, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean, and I will receive you. I will be a father to you, and you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. Therefore, have these promises, beloved. Let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness and the fear of God. Paul loves the Corinthian Christians. He wants them to be willing to change. And so he says, you know what? I've spoken openly to you. My heart is wide open. And guys, I want you to be open to what I'm going to challenge you with here. Because he's given five challenges, but he recognized this sixth challenge is going to be the hardest one for them to do. Because as we looked at 1 Corinthians, this was a big struggle for them. And so he's kind of pushing this Please be willing to change with this final challenge that I'm giving to you. And I think the same for us. Are we willing to change and take on this challenge that Paul gives? And really the challenge has to do with purity in ministry. Paul says, do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. Now, a yoke is something that connects two animals together. It looks something like this. And what Paul is saying is that we should not be unequally yoked or connected together with unbelievers. You see, two animals that are yoked together have to go in the same direction. That's what the yoke's for. It forces them to do that. And so this is where Paul is saying, hey, don't be unequally yoked together with unbelievers because the problem is they're going to pull you into an ungodly direction that you shouldn't go because you're connected with them. And so the direction that they go, they're going to pull you down with them. And so this is something that as Christians, we need to understand the importance of not yoking ourselves, connecting ourselves in that way with unbelievers. Now, before we move on, I want to make sure we understand Paul is not suggesting that Christians never associate with unbelievers. That's not what he's saying at all. We're surrounded with unbelievers. We should be seeking to reach unbelievers with for Christ. We are supposed to be um, living in the world, but not of the world. I think maybe a good illustration is uh, a ship should be in the water, but the water shouldn't be in the ship. Because once the water gets in the ship, the ship sinks. And I think the same thing with us. We are in the world, but when the world becomes in us, then the problem happens because then we're starting to sin and then we're sinking. And so we need to recognize, yes, we're a part of the world. We're in the world, but we're here to be a light. We're here to be ambassadors. We're here to reach them, not allow their sinful behavior to come into our life and we become like them. And so there's a very big difference here. So Paul's not saying avoid sinners. He's saying just make sure you're not joined together with them and their sinful behavior. Do not yoke yourself to them. You know, Paul starts off with just a warning with individuals. Don't 
yoke yourself with an unbeliever. Don't join yourself with an unbeliever. You know, there's so many relationships that we have with unbelievers, whatever it may be at work or on it and things. And those are, you know, there's, there's different levels of relationships. And the bottom line is the deeper the relationship, the more influence that person has on your life. And so if they're an unbeliever and you're an associate with them at work and you kind of just work with them and you are a light to them, but really, you know, they're, they're not drawing you away because your relationship's really not that deep. You know, great. Be a light to them. But the deeper the relationship goes, then the more we have to be aware of the reality of what they're going to do to our life. And this is why so many people come to this text to say, never date or never marry an unbeliever, because that relationship is very deep and they will definitely draw you away from the Lord. And so I think that the big thing that we have to say is, you know, within this relationship, Am I being the one who is the light drawing them to Christ or are ultimately they in any way, shape or form drawing me away from Christ? And if they're drawing me from Christ, then then you're unequally yoked. You've got to be very careful about that relationship and, and realize, hey, if this person that I'm spending time with them is always causing me or tempting me to sin, then I need to be, you know, willing to separate myself um, from them so that they don't continue with that. And so just realize that. And so I'm not going to make a, you know, whether this relationship or that, the, the ultimate thing is obviously the deeper the relationship, the bigger the influence. And um, we just need to be very, very careful with that. But it's not just people. Notice Paul goes on to say, what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? What communion has light with darkness? What accord has Christ with they all? What agreement has the temple of God with idols? What Paul is bringing out here is that anything that would lead to an ungodly, sinful behavior in our life is something that we do not want to be joined with. You know, there's no, we are the light, so we should not be behaving in a way that is dark. You know, there's just the reality of their, their complete opposites. And so there are lots of different avenues, lots of different things that aren't just people that can draw us into sin, that can tempt us. And so, you know, especially with, you know, the way in which our world works, there are a lot of TV shows, there are a lot of movies, uh, there's a lot of websites, um, you know, that are, as, as Christians, we should just never be watching because the reality is it's just full of filth that is completely ungodly and watching it, all it does is draw us into and tempt us and cause us to focus on things that we have no business thinking or focusing on as followers of Christ. And so there's things that we should just say, you know what? I'm just not going to watch that. I'm not going to go to that site. I'm not going to do that. You know, so even there's some times with social media where we just need to say, you know what? I'm just going to stop. <laughs> I'm, I'm just going to get off of this for this, you know, feed or conversation because it's just not healthy and it's not good. Uh, and so Paul wants us to recognize we just have to be careful. Do not join yourselves with things that are going to hinder your walk with Jesus Christ. We have to put a, a protective barrier uh, and watch what influences us. Paul goes on to tell us what we are to help us to see the importance of this. For you are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk among them. I will be their God and they shall be my people. Therefore, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean and I will receive you. I will be a father to you and you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. Here's something we need to recognize. 
And I think we forget it, especially when we decide, hey, you know what, I'm just going to indulge in this sinful behavior or that sinful behavior. You and I have a wonderful privilege. And the privilege is that we are the temple of God. Well, how is it that we are the temple of God? Well, well, the thing that set the temple apart as special in the Old Testament was that God dwelt in the temple. He dwelt in the Holy of Holies. The high priest one time a year got to go into the presence of God. But you know what? The wonderful privilege that you and I have when we place our faith in Jesus Christ is that he indwells us with his spirit. We literally become the temple, the dwelling place of God. And it's such a wonderful thing. We won't go on. I could go on a long side note here of all the blessings that that brings. But I think it should just be a sobering reality that guess what? Where you go, what you watch, who you spend time with, you know who's always with you? The Spirit of God. He's dwelling within you. And I know that, you know, if Jesus was literally sitting next to us, there would be Movies we watch now that we wouldn't. There would probably be websites we go to now that we wouldn't. There'd be people that we hang with now that we wouldn't. If, if Jesus was literally like, hey, I'm going to go with you this whole week, you know, I would imagine probably some of our behavior would change. I remember as a, a younger guy getting into my teens, I hated watching movies with my mom because if anything on the screen, especially a nude scene or something came on, it was just so awkward with my mother right there. You just don't want that. Uh, you don't, so it's like, okay, I'm not gonna, uh, my eyes are closed, whatever. But you know, when your mom's there, that there's this sense in which, hey, you know what? I don't want to be watching this. I don't want to be around this because, you know, I know that, you know, she wouldn't want that. Uh, well, how much more does the fact that the Spirit of God dwelling in us, why are we bringing Him into these things and, and watching these things and doing these things? Uh, and so this is what Paul wants us to understand. You're the temple of God. The Spirit of God dwells within you. And he quotes Isaiah 52.11, which is a challenge that we need to come out from the ungodly, be separate unto God. Do not touch what is unclean. This was uh, something that God was sharing with the nation of Israel. I want you to come out from those nations who are ungodly around you. Be separate from them. Do not live like the pagans around you and be godly. And now he's saying to us as believers in him, do the same thing. Be separate from this world. Do not live like them. Be pure and godly and different from the world which is around us. You know, one of the big problems the Corinthians had was the fact that so many of them were joined with unbelievers and were joined with ungodly things. And it just caused them to live very ungodly lives, as we saw in 1 Corinthians. All those issues that they had, so many of them came back to this reality of being connected and joined together with people and things that they had no business being joined together with as believers in Jesus. So Paul's challenge to them and to us is to break the yoke joining us together and make sure we separate ourselves from them so that we can be pure. Get rid of that stuff so that you can stay pure in your relationship with God. Now, if you're not sure if you're unequally yoked with something or someone, I encourage you to do what Psalm 139, 23, and 24 tells us. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxieties. And see if there is any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. You know, 
Our heart is desperately wicked. Who can know it? You know, there's times that we even deceive ourselves and think, I'm doing fine when the reality is I'm not. Or this relationship's okay when the reality is it's not. Or watching this thing, you know, I don't have any problem with that. It doesn't influence me when actually it does. And I think this is such an important verse where we just come to the Lord and say, sincerely and honestly, God, search me. If there is wickedness or sin or things in me that I am unaware of or not willing to deal with, Lord, reveal that to me so that I can change and that you can lead me in the way everlasting. And I think this is just something God wants to reveal that to us, just like his parents. You know, we're happy to reveal to our children the areas of sin in their life, the areas of disobedience, because we want them to change. And if we come to God and say, God, search me, reveal to me, show me this in my life, he wants to. And I think that's a healthy thing because I do think that too often I look back on my own life, I had deceived myself into believing this was okay for me, this isn't going to influence me, this is not going to be something that I can, you know, it's going to tempt me too much, you know, and that is a slippery slope because all of a sudden, you know, you're watching this and you think, oh, that's no big deal, and then all of a sudden it gets worse and worse, and you just got to be really careful with that, and I think having the Lord really search your heart and reveal those things to you is, is a great practical thing to do. So the sixth thing in our ministry manual that we need to understand is the purity in ministry. Purity in life, period. We need to be pure and set apart from the world and to God. So here Paul shares with us six great things that we really can help us, hopefully, in ministry. First, see it as the privilege that is. is. Second, understand we need to make it a priority recognize the pressures that come with it, but that God will let you patiently endure if you look to him. Look for the power that God gives in enabling us to do the ministry he called us to do. Continue to focus on God's perspective and be willing to set yourself apart from the things of the world so that you can be pure in the true light and ambassador that God has called you to be. Let's pray.